Industrial Light and Magic, LucasArts, Skywalker Sound, Lucasfilm Animation. This is Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z. Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and on behalf of my co-host, the one, the only, Dan Z, I want to wish all of you a belated Happy New Year's. I also uh, feel like I need to apologize for passing along some bad info with our last podcast. And Dan, you had nothing to do with it. I was the guy who told everybody uh, what I'd heard from a member of the PR team at Disney Studios, how they were looking to debut the teaser trailer for episode nine as part of Dick Clark's Rockin' Eve, the thing that Ryan Seacrest hosts now. Originally, as I was told, the plan was that after the ball dropped in Times Square, immediately afterwards, what they wanted to do was broadcast on the super screens of the jumbotrons around Times Square to, to run the trailer there. And I had a, I had what I thought was a great source in this story, Dan, a uh, guy I've, I've known from ABC, known this guy for years. He's been a great source previously, never steered me wrong before. Problem was, though, that between when we recorded the last podcast, which I think was December 19th and when December 31st rolled around, uh, things changed. Did you actually watch the Rockin' Eve that night? I watched about two hours of it, and when I started seeing the Dumbo stuff, I thought, oh, maybe they're just going to wait on this. And and to be fair, and completely in your defense, the PR teams are great, and uh, they're often overworked, and mm-hmm. there's often a very, very small team in, the, in these huge corporations. And things change for them all the time, too, so they're basically just the messengers. And when they give you information, that is true at the time, but it, it's very, it's a very, very fluid system. Well, it's, it's very, very gracious of you to have it's my true. back here, yeah. Dan. But I still got it wrong. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned the Dumbo thing, and being able to see the Dumbo footage in the background, because Disney had evidently already arranged for use of a number of the, the Jumbotrons and Super Screens in Times Square when suddenly somebody pointed out a couple of things. And, and one was... A, you know, in addition to Ryan Seacrest, there were 15 other broadcast outlets, including NBC and Univision, who were there in Times Square, along with hundreds of print reporters. And Disney was like, do we really want these guys piggybacking, potentially scooping our Star Wars thing? And then it was when these things was like, look, we're going to debut this trailer only for the people on the East Coast. What about... Central time. What about the people who live out in California? People would have went wild. There would have been a that would have been a pitchfork situation if that happened. Yeah. So Disney had already arranged for these jumbotrons and super screens. So what they opted to do was they used them instead to promote the upcoming release of Captain Marvel, which hits theaters on March eighth, and as you mentioned, Tim Burton's Dumbo, which arrives in theaters three weeks after Captain Marvel on March 29th. and. The plan now, the revised plan, is that Disney does feel that in order to make the biggest possible splash, they need to debut the Episode Nine teaser trailer as part of a broadcast that hundreds of millions of people tune in for, which is why right now they're looking to buy ad time during the first quarter 
of the Super Bowl, which is going to be broadcast, I want to say, on February 3rd. That sounds right. You seem surprised by because the teaser trailer for Last Jedi, it debuted at Celebration, is that correct? Yeah, the, the teaser trailer for The Force Awakens, the major teaser trailer, aired during Celebration Anaheim. The one for The Last Jedi aired during Celebration Orlando. Because that's when everyone is together. They get the huge panel with the cast and the director there, and there's usually a, a celebrity host that takes care of things. In fact, Josh Gad, I believe, did it for The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. So that's why they do it, and everybody goes wild, and it, it's Star Wars pandemonium and Xanadu. It all makes into a bowl of, of uh, Star Wars Celebration hype. And the fact that they're not doing that does surprise me a little bit, which means they must be saving something for Celebration, undoubtedly, which is again is April 11th to the 15th. However, the Super Bowl is clearly the most logical choice because that is every year without fail, you know, hang your hat on this. It's it's the most watched program every year. It's the Super Bowl. So yeah. And the NFL is going to love it because the the ad revenue for these these things are crazy. Oh, absolutely. Just today, we we had some news break in regard to Star Wars Resistance. Out ahead of the show coming back from its mid-season break, the new episodes start airing this Sunday night. Disney announced that they are renewing Resistance for a second season. Over your your holiday break, I know you've got a bunch of them piled up. Did you get a chance to watch them yet, or...? I did not, but the trailer for the second half of season one certainly piqued my interest because we got to see the audio and the in animated style, the famous speech from General Hux, which is reminiscent of Hitler addressing the First Order before they destroy Hosnian Prime and the, the entire you know New Republic. So I think that's the first time that I can remember where we've seen an animated Star Wars series showcase an exact scene or exact sequence from one of the Star Wars cinematic films in animation style. So to me, that is breaking new ground and suddenly introducing some some heavy cost and some serious weight to this series, which, uh, as we've talked about, and as you just mentioned, it's primarily aimed at a younger audience, which is fine, but it's certainly not my demographic. Mm-hmm. So no, I actually did not get to it yet, which uh, is probably not great for my Star Wars resume, but it just hasn't necessarily grabbed my appeal the way that Clone Wars or certainly the way that Rebels did. But this may, when I see that, I think, okay, I need to catch up. They're, they're really going there with the, bringing the Resistance into play. And you see Kylo Ren's transport as well. So that, I mean, I don't know that Kylo's going to be in it, but just knowing that his ship is there, it's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. The first 11 episodes were basically world building, introducing characters, relationships, yeah. that sort of thing. And, and yes, it looks like starting with the second half of the season, this is where the rubber meets the road. The storyline definitely clicks into the events that we'd seen for starting in Force Awakens. You're right. This is a show that is is aimed at the younger Star Wars fan bringing you know new folks through the door. I think we'll touch a little bit more about this on the second half of today's show, but this is really a deliberate effort on Lucasfilm's part, whether it's that Star Wars Kids channel that's going to be launched on YouTube, that's going to feature you know new animated versions of the stories of classic Star Wars characters or the forces of destiny. Yeah. There seems to be this sort of concerted effort to bring new fans in the door. When you look at that, but then you look at 
things like The Mandalorian, that's more about, you know, servicing the older fan. Oh, yeah. Now, jumping to a totally different subject, this weekend uh, down at Walt Disney World is the Walt Disney World Marathon. I've been following this for 25 years, Dan. I was actually there as a reporter back in January of 1994. Stood in the freezing cold Epcot parking lot and watched what was then considered a record crowd for an inaugural marathon. There were 5,888 runners. When you contrast that with, I guess, last year through a math that I don't understand, the Walt Disney World Marathon celebrated its 25th anniversary, and they had 97,000 people take part. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge field. Mind you, this is the 5K, the 10K, the half marathon, the full marathon. If you do all four of those, they have what they call the Dopey Challenge, which you, you get... In addition to the medals you got for participating in the other four races, you get a medal that says you ran the 48.6 miles in four days. And I guess that's why they call it the Dopey Challenge. What are they going to say? But I bring this up because for Star Wars fans, and especially the, the athletic ones, so what interests them is the Star Wars rival run. It's its fourth year this year, April 5th, 6th, and 7th, I want to say. It's the, I think it's the weekend before Celebration. Is it really? I believe so. Yep, wow. it is, because Celebration is the 11th to the 15th. So, Holy yeah. cow. Okay, so there will be a lot of people limping around Chicago. <laughs> now, just an update. The 10K is already sold out. There's spots still available for the 5K and the, the half marathon. And Star Wars Rival Run has its equivalent of the Dopey Challenge. It's the Run Dizzy Kessel Run Challenge. Do you know about this, Dan? Now, the Kessel Run is where you basically have the option to run a half, a virtual marathon, and then you run an actual marathon at Walt Disney World. Mm -hmm. So then if you do both of them together, then you also get this one. And I think they have a medal if you run the marathon both here and at the one for Disneyland. And at Disneyland is usually, I think that's the light side, and then the, the ones in Orlando are typically the dark side. I'm sure you heard that Disneyland put its marathon program on hold until uh, construction was completed on Galaxy's Edge. So, Oh, that must be why they're doing the virtual stuff. Yeah. I had wondered why. I never put that together. But, yeah, that makes sense. Now you can't do the marathon on both coasts. Instead, you can do the virtual one, which I definitely know a little bit about. Now, you were mentioning earlier that you actually did that or last year or... I did. I, I've always, I know you're not supposed to covet. I know that's a, a very much a sin, but I've always coveted these Star Wars medals. But every time they have these marathons, I'm at school or I just can't make it out to either coast. So last year they introduced a program where you can do a Star Wars virtual half marathon. And you basically have between when you register and then when the actual weekend, uh, which is again, the 5th, 6th and 7th, to complete it so you don't have to run all of it in one day you could run a little bit a day and what i did i ran three miles a day three times a week for about three or four weeks and then i ended up getting it so i was able to ease myself into it i ended up really really enjoying it. in fact i think it was maybe the best i've felt in a long time and i, and I always feel pretty good but there's just something about running that can be good for you if you ease yourself into it the right way so it's actually a really much a very much a gateway for people who are interested in this and for my money the the half the virtual marathon medals are completely gorgeous in fact they might be the best things you can get 
And I'm happy that tradition continues because this year's medals, which they announced on stars.com and run Disney very recently, I was not that impressed with the whole notion. I mean, I know they've got the rivals thing and I appreciate the idea of that. Mm -hmm. I just didn't think it looked very strong compared to what they've done before. The virtual one is great, however. The one I got last year is is Poe Dameron, and mm-hmm. it's got an X-Wing on it, which actually slides around the entire middle. It's like a very high-quality piece. It's very heavy. Ooh, very cool. I, speaking of, of coveting the medals, I get that. I was looking at the medal for the Kessel Run Challenge, which is the Millennium Falcon, and even with my Grimorian Guard body, you know, just sort of like... <laughs> I want that. So I, I may have to look into your whole virtual running thing to see whether or not, if I take a six months approach, perhaps you I can know, do I, it. You know, why don't we make a, Why don't we make a looking at Lucasfilm pact and we'll both do it. Ah, okay. and, we'll, and we'll pose with our we'll pose with our medals at celebration. <laughs> okay, we Patreon may have to do exclusive. this for the next celebration. You know, that, that's, <laughs> I think the only way I'm I'm going to be you know running anytime soon is if I can persuade somebody to drag a box of donuts in front of me. <laughs> What's cool about when you're exercising is that sometimes you you can listen to books on tape and that sort of thing. And you were just telling me that you just got the audio version of the latest Star Wars book, The Pirate's Price. Is that right? Or yes, Penguin Random House Audio was kind enough to send me an, an advanced copy of pirates price the audiobook version and the, the beautiful thing about this is that the entire thing is read by jim cummings who's the voice of hondo anaka and star wars rebels and star wars the clone wars but of course disney fans know him for something much more iconic than hondo mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing i love that uh, hondo is winnie the pooh and tigger and darkwing duck and jim cummings is it's a lot of guys in in one very very talented body but a legend yeah now pirate's price in in much the same way as thron's alliance the timothy zahn book that you and i talked about a few shows back there are scenes in this book that are set in galaxy's edge i think when you finally run into hondo isn't he in olga's cantina i believe so yeah the the excerpt that you're talking about does a cool job of, of very much tantalizing us on that too. There's even a wonderful sort of throwaway reference to character finds Hondo in a, I'm quoting here, in a busy cantina where a repurposed RX series pilot droid was playing upbeat music to an audience that was mostly ignoring it. And that, of course, is referring to Rex, the Starspeeder 3000 pilot that the Imagineers have retooled, given that he got pulled out of Star Tours for the Adventure Continues version. Lovely that he's showing up again. Wouldn't it be great if Rex was on top of that bar doing the the tequila dance that Peter <laughs> Herman is famous for? <laughs> I think that might be pushing, you know. I mean, mind you, they're doing some very ambitious things with him in Retronics and in, in Galaxies. If you read the Barons article that was published last week, they actually talk about how in the marketplace they're going to have basically the animatronic version of Louis De Palma from Taxi, and this animatronic is running a shop. If you're looking to, to buy something, you actually have to haggle with him. Wonderful detail from, from a really cool piece, I thought, about Galaxy's Edge. Did, did you get to read that? Or? Oh, it was tremendous. Yeah, it was very, I was going to say really wet in my whistle, but that sounds too much like a pun for the blue milk. I'm almost getting to a point where I get where I'm about to see the films where I think, gosh, is this becoming like actual spoilers for me? How much do I just want to be surprised by? But to be honest, Jim, 
Mm-hmm. There's so much that's going to go into this thing and all the interactivity and all the Easter eggs and things are there. I, I'm kind of glad I'm at peace with finding out some spoiler type things because I want to catch it when I'm there because there's going to be so much going on and so many people. Oh, no, 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 definitely. Though I'm intrigued by how the article dropped that the blue milk is actually going to be a non-dairy beverage, which yes. I get. Many people are lactose intolerant and wouldn't buy the blue milk, but it's like... It would go bad. How are you going to have that conversation? Would you like the blue milk? You know, it's like, well, I'm lactose intolerant. I can't have it. Hey, it's a non-dairy beverage, but it's blue milk. This sounds like the first 30 seconds of an Abbott Costello bit. <laughs> it really does. I guess there was some confusion. The article talked about sort of the cinematic reveals that they're going to do for guests entering Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I think that that's an overly fancy way to explain the sort of storytelling that the Imagineers are looking to do at, uh, well, the two entrances that Galaxy's Edge in California and Florida have. That Remember, the Disneyland version actually has a third entrance, dead center in the middle of the land, that you can enter through big thunder trail but the the two that they're referring to on the east coast it'll be the grand avenue muppet studios side entrance west coast we're talking if you're in creator country and you go past the hungry bear restaurant in both cases you're you're going to sort of walk into a a thick pine forest that has kind of a twisty trail that uh, the woods are close in initially and when the you know you finally come to a clearing in the woods, what you're going to see is that there's going to be these ruins, uh, ancient ruins looming in the distance. But immediately to your right, hidden in the tree line, you're going to see this squadron of X-wings. And conversely, if you come in from uh, the Toy Story Land side at Disney Hollywood Studios or at Disneyland, I guess this is the top of Big Thunder Trail where the old Big Thunder Ranch was located. Anyway, you're coming in from the Fantasyland side. There, you're going to come through sort of some scrub brush, overgrown woods, and enter what clearly is a tunnel that's been carved out of solid rock. But it, it kind of curves and bends, so you can't immediately see what's ahead of you. But once you come through this gateway, you're going to find yourself on Smuggler's Alley which is sort of the, the entrance to the outdoor marketplace in Blackspire Outpost. And you're going to be surrounded by all of these shoppers and merchants who are kind of on edge because for the first time ever, the First Order has that very day, that very morning, sent a transport to Batu, And there are just a, a street or so over, there are now these squads of First Order Troopers walking through the square, sort of quizzing merchants and asking for ID. And, and it's people want to know what this is about. Have they still addressed what they're going to do when for the guests who just don't want to be a part of the world but just want to ride rides? What are they going to do? Are they going to wear like special sashes or something? <laughs> like Hollywood Horror Nights, I guess is what I'm thinking. If you've been to Disney's Hollywood Studios and dealt with the First Order Troopers that sort of patrol... Oh the courtyard area around Launch Bay. Sure. If you want to engage, they have this whole shtick that they will do. If, on the other hand, you know, you are just moving through the space and and can't be bothered, they'll gesture, they'll talk to you, but they're not out to... I mean, it's kind of ironic. These stormtroopers are not out to cause trouble. (laughs) 
But on the other hand, if if you're willing to play, they will play. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. Can I ask you about the X-Wings really quickly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, when you say that they're deliberately hidden in the trees, is that going to be a thing where, like, don't walk past this rope, or are people going to be encouraged to go up and look at them and touch them and get pictures? They're hidden in the tree line. It's, it's a storytelling point, as in the Alliance has deliberately hidden them, has landed on this planet, has hidden them there, and is maintaining a low profile in much the same sort of storytelling point that, yes, you, you can walk up to the X-Wing and they will be droids, they will be the equivalent of a, a BB-8 rolling around and that sort of thing. And the resistance pilots there will tell you the story about, we have arrived today because we heard that the First Order is checking out Batu, and we need your help. And they'll direct you over to the ruins where your adventure in Rise of the Resistance will begin. Okay, so you can interact with it, basically. Yeah, this is going to be a different level of storytelling for Disney. That there's Whether it's the buildings will tell the story, the, the greenery, and the horticulture aspect of Galaxy's Edge... In fact, the Barron's article mentioned at one point that the reporter came upon a tree that was about to be planted with a, a notice on it that said it took $9,000 for this tree to be brought here and properly treated to, to be inserted. So treat wow. it with care. Even the greenery to tell the storytelling is carefully cultivated and ridiculously expensive. So I guess the bigger news, though, Bob Iger, in a, an interview that was also in Barron's, referred to the fact that the Disneyland version of Galaxy's Edge looks open in June, which that's pretty much what we've been hearing. Yeah, it adds up. But the more interesting news is that Disney has gone from saying, in regards to the Florida version, they've gone from saying the late fall of 2019 to fall of 2019. And I have been calling around poking at friends at the company trying to get some clarification on this and initially given the construction problems and that sort of thing it looked like the earliest that star wars galaxy's edge in orlando was going to open was late november early december of 2019 now the interesting thing now is i've heard from two and three different folks that they're shooting for october Wow. But again, think about what just happened with Toy Story Land. Toy Story Land opened basically six weeks behind schedule because Orlando had an incredibly wet spring last year, which really impacted construction. All it's going to take is a couple of really bad storms, and they could be right back where we could back in that November, December time frame. I also, again, want to caution everyone that I'm sharing this info, that I'm still the same idiot who told you on the last podcast that the episode 9 teaser trailer was going to be shown during Dick Clark's rocking New Year's Eve with Ryan Seacrest. So take this with a very large grain of salt while I look for additional sources. I really, I don't want anybody to, to run out and buy plane tickets for Orlando in October just yet no, because no. I hate for you to miss it by days. So let's let's give them a little more time. Give me a little more time to get a few more sources on this and see if Disney's going to be a little more forthcoming about the opening dates. How about this, Dan? We'll we'll take a break here for a, a commercial and then come on back and and you and I will look back on 2018 and what went on in the Lucasfilm Star Wars world. 
was there one particular event that kind of leaped out at you in 2018 in regard to the Star Wars universe or well honestly in in the show prep that we that you did you did a wonderful job of breaking everything down there are two things that are particularly intriguing to me and there's a lot of great Star Wars moments I mean being at San Diego Comic-Con when they announced Clone Wars coming back certainly is a highlight the end of Rebels, I almost had, when I looked at the, your list, I thought, oh my gosh, Rebels ended in March. I couldn't even believe, this seems like ages ago, but it really mm-hmm. wasn't. There's just been some things that happened. But for me, and, and selfishly, it's it's definitely when I bring this up, the highlight of 2018 Star Wars-wise for me was I got to meet George Lucas at the solo world premiere. And because it was a brand new solo film. Mm-hmm. But I think, even though it, it didn't play the way that we hoped it would, I'm still convinced of a couple of things. One, if it came out in December, even though this was a crowded December, I think it would have done two or three times as much as it did before. Mm-hmm. I think it's aging well streaming-wise and on Blu-ray, and I think it's a much better film than people realize. But again, did I mention I got to meet George Lucas? I'm still pretty excited about it. No, 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 and and that's the cool part of our job. You get to meet people you admire. You get to meet your heroes. And What about you? I have been enjoying watching, I think the strategy we talked about at at the top of the show, unfold. You know, this whole notion of Disney buys Lucasfilm in 2011, is that correct? Yeah, that sounds right. One of the reasons that Lucas wanted to go with Disney, Bob Iger was the only one he told, look, I'm thinking of retiring and, you know, transitioning, put Kathleen Kennedy in charge, yada, yada, yada. Only Bob Iger thought to, well, maybe I can pursue this company. And one of the reasons that Lucas went with Disney is that Disney has the ability to make characters and films evergreen. I mean, I mean, think about this. Just last month, we celebrated the 90th anniversary of Mickey Mouse. He and Minnie are going to have their own attraction at Disney's Hollywood Studios opening this spring. George wanted his characters to go in these stories to go to a place that had the skills to keep them alive. They had to keep the, the ability to keep them front of mind. And to look at what, how Disney is doing this now with, with the crew at Lucasfilm, you know, the very conscious decisions about how do we keep these characters alive? How do we keep these worlds going? And in fact, the very first thing on my list here, February 6th, they got the Game of Thrones creators, David Benoff and D.B. Weiss, were going to write a brand new series of Star Wars films. And But if you look at what they've done with the series for HBO and, you know, created that world and, you know, all of these compelling characters, obviously based on the the Game of Thrones books, but that's kind of an an intriguing way to sort of bump out the borders of the world, don't you think? Oh, I do. I think think it's another thing, just like we talked about in the first half of the show, the, the brilliance of this company that Lucas very much started is that they're able to reinvent themselves constantly with still the same heart and soul of what makes Star Wars tick, but while realizing that there are different generations that find the saga appealing for different reasons. So if you tap into all of them while still maintaining the core and the themes of this franchise, then you're going to have something that is around for much, much longer than most things that come and go. March 5th, we had the end for now of Star Wars Rebels. And I say that because... The show ended its four-year run on Disney XD, very much leaving the door open for a further adventure. We, you know, we basically oh, yeah. had Hera heading off to 
tried to find Ezra, who seems Sabine. to... Sabine and Ahsoka. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I'm really hoping that Mr. Filoni, who, you know, frankly, is, is a pretty busy guy right now, what with bringing Clone Wars back for, for 12 episodes. And in fact, that's among the big news that got revealed this past year at, at San Diego Comic-Con. In fact, you were there in the room for that, right? I was. One of the most electric experiences I've ever had as a Star Wars fan. People were, were wild over it. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was amazing. Those 12 brand new episodes are going to air over on Disney Plus, the subscription streaming service. Any idea when we're going to get to see Disney Plus? The ESPN Plus, Disney's initial foray into subscription streaming, it launched in April of last year. And I want to say by August, it had its millionth or five millionth subscriber. I'll have to check on that. But either way, it was sort of the, had plowed the road for what Disney's doing with Disney Play. And so I repeatedly heard that it's the same window is when they're looking to launch a Disney Plus. But again, when they say window, the you know the thing is not necessarily April because frankly, the month of April is when every department in the Walt Disney Company is pivoting to launch Avengers Endgame. Right. Do we really want to launch our subscription service when all of our PR people are going to be flogging Avengers 4 with the hope that it will do better at the box office than Infinity Wars? Which is saying something. So May, June, but again, to describe that window. and I have a feeling, I have a theory on that, though. At San Diego Comic-Con, DC had, of course, a gigantic booth, and they had people signing up by the truckloads for DC Universe's streaming service, and they had, like, T-shirts you could get, and it was a cheaper price to sign up for it when it actually debuted. Ooh. I bet you they'll do that at Celebration for Disney+. Plus. That's an interesting idea. Speaking of the streaming service, on March 8th, Lucasfilm announced that Jon Favreau had been signed to executive produce and write a live-action series for Disney+. And, of course, we wouldn't find out till the fall what that was about, but that's The Mandalorian. And much darker, more adult take on Star Wars material. In fact, have you been following the the casting news and the photos coming off the set for that? Or Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I certainly have. And you, you're the one who broke it to me last show about ig88 and bosk being a part of it so yeah and, and i think they actually released the the photo on christmas day of that i think favreau did on instagram yeah that just can't can't wait for that but if, but again remember this is a, a multi-pronged very tiered approach to growing the audience so we have things like the mandalorian that are obviously aimed at the really diehard star wars fans who know the character the bounty hunters and and as you mentioned but at the same time you want to bring new folks through the door, particularly young girls. And this is why March 19th, we had the second season of the Star Wars Forces of Destiny animated series, which is really more this collection of shorts that star the female characters, you know, whether it's Leia or Rose. They try to touch on every single one of the properties. Have you seen any of these? Or Oh, yeah, I've seen all of them. Okay, I, I really like them i think that they're well written they don't they're short sort of lesson driven things but at the same time they make an effort to make sure that you you know the characters legitimately behave like the characters do that hera is hera or ray is ray 
And it's the same actors, including Daisy Ridley and John Boyega and, and Mark Hamill. So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. You're right. They do teach lessons, but they don't fall into didactic territory. They just, they organically happen. And sometimes they add some cool little twist to the story. Like there's one where we get to see where Leia actually gets the Boosh costume so that she can go into Jabba's palace and release Han from the Carbonite. And it's because she, Zild works something out with Maz Kanata. So, yeah, they do some great stuff on that series. And I understand there's, there's a third season coming. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. April, we got word on the heels of, of those of us who were mourning the Star Wars Rebels that there was a brand new animated series set in the era just before Force Awakens that would be debuting on the Disney Channel in the fall. And I had tripped over the name Star Wars Resistance and thought it was a toy line or, or something that was coming to Galaxy's Edge. And you were like, no, 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 this is that series. This is it. That's right. Jump ahead to May. Finally got Solo, a Star Wars story released to theaters. And and again, I know we've, we've gone over this endlessly. Solo wound up being the 10th highest grossing film domestically for 2018. Did uh, 213 million in ticket sales stateside, 179 million overseas. Total world box office of 392 million. Not a bad thing, except that just not Star Wars numbers. No, they're not Star Wars numbers. And, and more to the point, when Ron Howard, when they had the shutdown production and bring Ron Howard in to replace Chris Miller and Phil Lord, the budget shot up to $275 million. Coupled with promotional costs of $150 million. I mean, face it, you can't put a Millennium Falcon on Hollywood Boulevard without spending a few bucks. It's true. In order for this film just to break even, it had to make... Uh, $500 million. It fell over $100 million short of that. And what was especially frustrating for Disney and Lucasfilm is if you compare the box office for Solo, a Star Wars story with Rogue One, that did $532 million just in the States alone. When you factor in the $523 million it did overseas, this was a billion-dollar earning movie, and all that on a budget of $200 million. And remember, Dan, there was a plan here. The Star Wars stories were supposed to be released the uh, even years. And the Skywalker Saga films were supposed to be released during the odd years. And now, especially coming on the basis of what happened with Last Jedi, which did a third less business, both domestic and overseas, that's why we saw announcement last summer about how suddenly uh, Lucasfilm was tapping the brakes on the Star Wars stories film series that, and you know, for those of us who were looking forward to Ewan McGregor appearing in what was supposed to be maybe the first of a new Obi Wan Kenobi trilogy. Oh wow! Likewise, a Boba Fett film, and the fact that they are not doing that right now, they are concentrating on making Star Wars Episode Nine the best possible film it can be, and likewise concentrating on this John Favreau Mandalorian project. And we haven't even mentioned the Cassian project that got announced in November, right? Yeah, November. And it's going to start filming in, I think, this November or October. Yeah. yeah. So we have a second you know, series of, of Star Wars things being aimed at Disney+. And again, the thinking there is they want to do film quality, that They're spending film-sized budgets on these limited series 
they want it to be seamless quality wise between what you go to theaters to see for Star Wars movies and what you'll sit at home, whether it's watching The Mandalorian or this sort of continuation of the Rogue One story. If this, if 2019 isn't the best year Star Wars ever has ever had in its 40 plus year history, I, I can't imagine what would top it. But at the same time, it, it's hard to put 2018 in the rearview mirror when you have things like what happened in June with Kelly Marie Tran, who the actress who plays uh, Rose Tico in Last Jedi, and again, will be reprising that character in episode nine. But she had been bullied online by Star Wars fans for six months before she finally decided that's it. She pulled herself off Instagram. She disconnected from social media. And you watched Lucasfilm and Disney try to figure out how to deal with this. Because clearly you want those fans to buy tickets to your Star Wars movies and to sign up for the subscription service so they can see the this Rogue One series and this, the Mandalorian that we talked about. But at the same time, you want people to behave themselves. And the fact that they went after this actress who played Rose and were incredibly offensive... What's your take on that? Where do you think it stands now? You know, I don't hear too much about it, which to me is a good sign. No news is good news. I mean, it certainly hasn't eliminated the racism and bigotry that very much exists in our society, which is obviously terrible. But this is something we've dealt with for a very, very long time. She, a lot of people have come to her aid, fans, cast and crew of episode eight and nine. And I think that, you know, good for her for being able to kind of release yourself from the shackles of this ridiculousness and, and just be able to be yourself anyway. And I, I, I find it liberating that, that P, instead of just feeding it and undoubtedly feeling things that no one should have to feel, mm-hmm. she's able to get away from it. And and I, my hope is that fans will continue to rally around it and continue to add positivity to the conversation. Tears open. But again, just to... Sort of reiterate here that on the heels of this sort of thing and what happened with Solo, Lucasfilm kind of felt a need to sort of put its house in order. First of all, you know, they put out the word in spite of the rumors and the trades that, you know, Kathleen Kennedy was, her job was safe. She was going to stay, you know, as the head of Lucasfilm, that that Iger had her back. But again, as we mentioned, they're going to slow down production, not stop, but slow down production of these Star Wars stories. And also one of the the more interesting impacts, at least for me, was that you saw during the same period, uh, July 10th of last year, uh, Disney announced they were pushing back the release date of Indiana Jones 5 from July uh, 10th, 2020 to July 9th, 2021. In talking with folks at the studio, the whole notion was like, all right, we just need to sort of get all of our Star Wars stuff sorted out between the what we're doing Disney Plus and the theatrical and, and that sort of thing. And then we'll pivot to indie. So I just hope they put Harrison in Carbonite in the meantime so we can still have him <laughs> in the role. <laughs> but again, all right, now we start to get into the good news. Okay, so July 19th, as you mentioned, you're at San Diego Comic-Con and we get this news about 12 new episodes of Clone Wars. And effectively, doesn't Dave admit that you know, because they, they really sort of foreshortened that show's run to... In fact, that that was, as I remember, considered one of the casualties of Disney buying Lucasfilm because it was the whole notion of, yeah, 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 we don't have time for animated series right now, or at least 
animated series that started on other people's networks. So the fact that they're they're now returning and basically finishing that story, though, again, talking with, with folks who are working on Clone Wars, it's like, who said we're finishing? We're doing 12 episodes, and if people like it, we may do more. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. And then August 1st, we got news that production was officially underway on episode 9. Just four days before that, we got a great bit of news about how what are they going to do with Leia? And, you know, were they, you know, thinking of recasting? And there was initially some talk, I guess, about Meryl Streep, because, of course, she'd played a Carrie Fisher written character in Postcards from the Edge. And it's like, no, we're going to solve the Princess Leia problem in Episode 9 is we're using footage, unused footage from Force Awakens and Last Jedi, so Carrie Fisher will finish out this character in what is supposed to be the end of the Skywalker saga. So that was kind of cool. Oh, extremely. Uh, we did get a bit of, of sad news as we headed into the fall, and that was the news that we had lost Gary Kurtz, the producer of several noticeable Lucasfilms. Anyway, we've talked about the John Favreau project. It was only in October that we finally learned that it was called The Mandalorian, and you know we were dealing with bounty hunters and eight episodes with a budget of $100 million. Just four days after that gets announced, October 7th, we, we finally get to see Star Wars Resistance. This is a very different show in comparison, certainly, to Clone Wars and to Rebels. It, it's, it's kind of lighthearted, and again, the, the anime style and the emphasis on the racers, which clearly Disney consumer products like. If you look at the trailer that just dropped for the mid-season, for the, the next set of episodes for Resistance, this fairly light show is about to get Pretty dark, pretty serious. Yeah, bringing in General Hux, voiced by Donnell Gleason, will certainly add to that for sure. One quick side note here, and I guess this is more about me and my age. I'm still puzzled that we have this show that is clearly aimed at bringing young kids into the Star Wars franchise, but it airs on Sunday nights at 10 o'clock. Yeah, that's always been a a weird sticking point, I think. It doesn't seem to to mix with the demographic. Yeah, I was talking with somebody at Disney XD, and they they sort of smiled in at me in kind of a "boy, you're dumb" kind of way. But it's like you understand that we live in this era where everybody DVRs everything or video on demand. Nobody's actually watching these things in real time. You know, the kids are they're downloading resistance when there's a new episode and you know they're doing it the next morning or later that same week or that sort of thing so i guess long story short i'm the only idiot who's actually watching television in real time anymore dan (laughs) all right jumping ahead to the early november we had talked about the dega luna signing to play cassian andor again in the the rogue one inspired series for disney plus and then November 17th, we've got Bob Chapek at the celebrated Mickey Destination D event uh, down at Walt Disney World. And in much the same way that they release all information about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, they breadcrumbed us. So we finally got our names of our attractions. We got Millennium Falcon, Smuggler's Run, and we got Rise of the Resistance. We even got to see a good chunk of the ride track for Rise of the Resistance, that that footage for that little that trailer was shot actually in the the finished attraction. 
including those beautiful ad ads. I don't know how many of you saw online this past week, but the Disneyland line, the January 3rd issue that just hit stands out in Anaheim, featured two and three images inside of the, the actual physical attraction. And they, they showed Disney quality control folks or show standards folks inside of the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, uh, Smuggler's Run. They showed them working on the ride vehicle for Rise of the Resistance. But you know, these were the first really up-close photos you know, that we've seen of those. And as I was telling you earlier today, Dan, I have procured you a copy of this magazine. It's going to be headed your way shortly. So You are a saint. I'm really appreciative of that. Least I could do, given all the stories you've shared with me. But our last bit of news for the year, part of this multi-pronged approach to the, the fandom, was the announcement of the Star Wars Kids website. This was on November 28th. This is going to be the home to a series of new animated shorts that will star the classic Star Wars characters. We're talking Luke, Leia, uh, Han. But it's all designed to introduce kids to the world. They'll be able to watch these shorts on the Star Wars Kids website or its supporting YouTube channel, looking at this, making sure we're bringing new fans through the door uh, introducing him to these characters while at the same time trying to keep the adult fans, the, the folks who came on board in 77 with New Hope, interested with things like The Mandalorian and yet trying to map a future for the films beyond the Skywalker saga with these Game of Thrones guys. I mean, it's fascinating to see all of these things going on at the same time and to know as we look ahead to 2019 and 2020, we have what's going to happen to interest in the franchise in the backs of galaxy's edge. And then the star Wars hotel that is supposed to begin construction in Walt Disney world sometime later this year. There's so much stuff going on, Dan. Yeah. Like I said, it's 2019 is, is going to be the year of star Wars. And when you consider all the amazing things that have happened 2015 with the force awakens, 1977 star Wars coming on the scene all that, all those, so many great things in between. This, this is going to be something else. Just imagine what our end of the year show for 2019 is going to look like. Wow! Ugh, just telling people in advance of that show, get a cot, get a pillow. You're going to, you're going to have to lie down to listen. <laughs> Snuggle to this. up, kids. Long, get the hot cocoa. Long. Until then, and until our, our next podcast, if people are hungry for more Star Wars news, where can they go, Dan? What, what else can they listen to? Certainly. Well, you can find me every week on Coffee with Kenobi, which is a podcast that looks at things from an intellectual point of view. And we hope to make you laugh and make you think at the same time. And you can also chat with me on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R. On my side of the fence, if you, you want to learn about stuff other than, than Star Wars, we got Disney Dish with Len Testa. We got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We got Marvel Us Disney. That's with the amazing Aaron Adams. And then, you know, there's the folks down the street at Universal. And let's face it, you know, there wouldn't be a Galaxy's Edge without all the wonderful things that Universal Creative did with the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And that's the stuff I discuss with Dustin Fuse on Universal Joint. Well, anyway, folks, thanks for listening. That's it for Mr. Zahir and myself. So have a great night, okay? Take care. Thank you for listening to Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z, one of many great podcasts on the Jim Hill Media Network.